0: Welcome to the second episode of Eval Edge, where we explore the cutting edge in evaluation. Today, we are going to talk about evaluation and blockchain, and I'm super excited to have here with me Michael Cooper, a monitoring, evaluation, and learning expert and a blockchain advisor who has been working with multiple well reputed agencies, including USAID, Millennium Challenge Corporation, and the US State Department. Mike, we are so excited to have you here. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Well, first off, thanks for, for having me. I think, we, you know, we've talked about this before, but I'm really happy that uh, these types of podcasts are happening just as uh, a, as, uh, you know, huge consumer podcast. And, a, you know, I want to consume more podcasts within the international development and evaluation space. So I'm glad we're doing this. Great.
0: Mike, thanks for the explanation. Today's podcast is going to be different from the others. We're going to split it into two. We are all together in a room, myself, Michael Cooper, Valentine Gandhi, Tom Link, and Elena Lapu. But in the beginning, we are just going to hear from Mike and Val. In the second part, you will hear from Elena and Tom Link asking questions to Mike. Mike and Val, do you want to kick us off with an intro to blockchain?
2: well blockchain is a lot of things a lot of people but essentially it's a digital tool or a digital technology that combines cryptography uh, or data management networking and incentive mechanisms to support um, in many ways the ch- execution and recording of transactions between multiple parties and it's basically a ledger a blockchain is a ledger or a list in other words a chain of groups which are organized like blocks uh, of transactions. So these are processed by nodes. Nodes are basically digital uh, transactions that check its integrity and record them on new blocks. And the contents of the blockchain ledger are replicated simultaneously across several geographically distributed nodes. And these nodes jointly operate the blockchain system without any central control. And that's what is uniquely different from uh, any other database, which always has an administrator or a central control. But blockchain system ensures that all nodes achieve consensus about the integrity and shared contents of the blockchain ledger. So that is blockchain. If it sounds so technical, just understand it as a database
1: without a manager. I really like that line, Bao a database without a manager you know i've i've read or listened to a hundred or more different explanations of what the blockchain is and what i always find about those explanations is that they're missing some key attributes of what the blockchain is right but i feel like with your explanation you hit on all of them right you hit on the fact that it's it's just a ledger it's it's a digital ledger it's just code you talked about the decentralization of it. You talked about mm-hmm. the security aspect of it with the use of cryptology. But then you also mentioned uh, how, you know, the, a ledger is nothing but a, a record of transactions. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, when you when you say transaction, what is it that you're talking about in regards to the blockchain?
2: So transactions are is very really similar to what we use in the general term It can be between parties such as payments, or escrows, or notarization, voting, land registration, or any other registration, and process coordination, uh, even operations in government and industry. So traditionally, um, the transactions are supported by trusted third parties, such as government agencies, banks, legal firms, accounting firms, and so on. But blockchains provide a different way to support these transactions. Uh, Instead of trusting third parties, we would trust a majority of the collective jointly operating these blockchains.
0: Thanks Val, that's super clear and I'm sure the audience appreciates. Now, Mike, you are the expert on tokens. Do you wanna explain what it means?
1: When I started thinking about blockchains and tokens and tokenization, I started noticing kind of real world examples and I think that that's really helped me develop my thinking to make better sense and more logical sense of, of how we use tokens and ledgers in everyday society. So I think that, you know, we could start off with the question of, you know, why don't you steal from the grocery store? When you think about the receipt that you get from the grocery store, right? Well, that receipt, is it's printed out as you pay for your groceries, you take the receipt with you, um, and as you leave, Sometimes there's somebody there that, like a security guard or something like that, that checks the receipt to make sure that you actually paid for the groceries you're taking out of the grocery store. And so when you think about it, that grocery store is an ecosystem, right? And within that ecosystem, there's, there's governance rules, there's, uh, and then there's enforcement of those rules, right? The, for, in our case, the security guard that's checking your receipt on the way out. Well, when you look at that receipt, what is that receipt, right? Well, it's just a list. It's a ledger. And when you think about the purpose of the receipt, the receipt is a token because it sh- that receipt shows that you own the assets on that ledger. You have a right to them so that when you exit the store and you show them, you say, I have a right to the groceries in my shopping cart. I paid for them. This is the list. I'm leaving. I'm I'm exiting the ecosystem. And so I think that this is a good example that kind of demonstrates four categories of what we're going to talk about today. One is this kind of like framing of things within an ecosystem. The ecosystem is the grocery store. There's a ledger, right? The list on the uh, grocery store receipt, and there's a token, the receipt itself. But what's critical is that there's a behavior, a targeted behavior involved and they use the token to help achieve the behavior. So when I ask the question, why don't you steal from the grocery store? Part of the reason why you don't steal from the grocery store is that you have to have the receipt, the token. Without the token, it becomes a lot easier to, to steal. And so you use receipts as a token to incentivize a behavior which is, in this case, you're not stealing. But what makes the, what, a part of what makes the blockchain so valuable is that it's, we're, we're able to generate very simple or very complex tokens much more efficiently and effectively than we ever have before. So, for example, um, we looked at the grocery store receipt, and that's a very simple token because the type of behavior that we're targeting is, is very simple. But if we want to generate more complex tokens to to kind of target more complex behaviors, there's a lot more cost and resources involved, right? What the blockchain may allow us to do is target those same behaviors, but much more uh, efficiently and effectively at at a lower cost.
0: Great, Mike, thanks for the explanation. Okay, now we have the basics of what blockchain is, but how is that linked to international development?
1: So when you think about what we do in international development, there is a, uh, an incentivization of some type of behavior that you want to see. So when we look at land titling, right, the land title can be considered a token because it demonstrates uh, ownership of an asset. But We're also trying to leverage some type of targeted behavior by the use of that token. Oftentimes in national development, uh, we want people to use that land title, that token, to go and make improvements, to invest in, in the land, build, build structures on it, things like that, or use that token, that land title, uh, to go and uh, as, to use it as collateral to gain access to different financial services, et cetera. So, and now, you know, in a lot of times, you know, these land titles are digital, so it's a digital token. that goes on to a digital ledger, but we're still targeting a behavior in in the physical world. And so I think that as we talk about, you know, the use of of blockchains and tokens, um, I think we have to get familiar with how we're already using ledgers and tokens within international developments and build on that learning and then say, okay, as we move forward using a blockchain, which can produce these, these tokens much more efficiently cheaper faster and so essentially we can start to kind of bootstrap our own uh, ecosystems and the cost of experimentation within those ecosystems goes goes way down
0: absolutely mike and i think one thing i loved about your example is that you're really bringing in the core of international development the land title example is brutal. Uh, I mean, like the property rights uh, are were fundamental to promote development and ownership and and generate um, economic growth. Let me move uh, the conversation to the realm of evaluation and ask Valentine to help us go in depth and really understand how can we transfer all these beautiful concepts you just briefed us on uh, into, into monitoring and evaluation. Go ahead, Val.
2: Thank you, Mariana. Uh, as Mariana m- mentioned, it'll be useful to explore the application of blockchain more specifically uh, in the field of evaluation. E- even though it's been around for some time and there's a lot of hype around it, blockchain in international development is still an emerging field. And in evaluation, we, we juggle between these concepts of accountability versus learning. Uh, proving versus improving uh, kind of a tightrope that we walk in. So how can we apply uh, blockchain as a technology or as a tool to uh, conduct evaluations or do evaluations? And Mm -hmm. uh, as a second part, how can we evaluate blockchain projects? How can we judge something was done as expected as we do in traditional evaluations when we are actually in the beginning stages or even in the midst of creating it? And there's no branch right. model
1: Well, I think I like how you kind of broke it into two categories, right where how do we evaluate the use of a blockchain within an intervention, and then how do we use the blockchain as kind of an evaluation tool? so let, let's start with with the first one. you know how do we evaluate the use of a blockchain and and the tokens that it uses within an intervention? You know I think that evaluation has really had to uh, integrate a lot more behavioral sciences <clears throat> and systems thinking into how it develop, how it designs and carries out its its evaluations. As evaluators, we're going to just have to really think more about the mechanism of change behind uh, those targeted behavior changes, um, because I think that that's really what the blockchain introduces. Is it it creates different types of incentive models to achieve that behavior. So I I don't think that it's gonna be this kind of fundamental shift. We're not gonna be uh, evaluating new types of outcomes of interest and things like that. I think we're gonna have to develop a better understanding of the pathway to that behavior change that we're targeting with those interventions. And so when we talked about you know the kind of the the four kind of big categories or or dimensions of of uh, using blockchain within the intervention, right? The the digital ledger, the token that bridges the digital ledger with the physical world, the behavior change in the physical world, and then the ecosystem in which this all takes place. I think that as evaluators, when we're evaluating interventions that use the blockchain. We're going to have to become much more familiar with those with those concepts and the role that each one plays, because I think that those four concepts are really formative to that that causal pathway to the the targeted behaviors that we want. Um, now, you know, a, a more briefer note on uh, using blockchain as an evaluation tool. I think that as evaluators have used more technology for their their data management, right? From from collection all the way through to uh, data entry, analysis, and dissemination. I think that you know the blockchain has a lot of value add to uh, uh, kind of hasten that that process as a data management tool, to where a lot of the uh, automation that we're already seeing within evaluation within that data management lifecycle you know, the efficiencies of that automation. I think that that's something that the blockchain is going to continue to add. But I think that it's going to add additional values on top of the ICT that we're already using for those data management purposes. Because with the blockchain, depending on the type of blockchain you use, there's increased security, there's increased data quality control mechanisms that can be coded into the ledger. Um, and greater transparency and control over that data, right? And so I think that as, we, as evaluators, as we move more and more with the digitization of our data, you know, data quality and uh, security and transparency are huge issues that we're facing. And I think that the blockchain as an evaluation tool can really mitigate a lot of those issues that we're having now with our current ICT.
2: Thank you, Michael. It's good that you brought up the data management issue. So uh, if you look at monitoring or automation of data or database management or the data landscape as a whole, um, does introducing blockchain to our existing MIR systems or MNE systems, does it fundamentally alter the way we collect and store data? And if yes, uh, what are some of the challenges you anticipate in that uh, given that blockchain is a permanent ledger and uh, what are what about ethics what about personally identifying information how do we address these issues if we start using blockchain as a data management tool
1: yeah like any technology right there's there's drawbacks and you know i think the issue you brought up is really important because the blockchain is actually you know because it's just code it's actually really easy to use but because it's really easy to use Uh, it's really easy to misuse, right? Which goes into the the point that that you're making. So when we talk about, uh, you know, some of the applications of blockchain for like utility management, right? So if you put these kind of like utility management ledgers on a blockchain and you make them transparent to the public, it increases accountability. And because the blockchain uh, through its use of, of cryptology is immutable, right? that once it goes on the blockchain, it can't be changed. But you bring up the good point, well, what if we're using the blockchain as the ledger to register beneficiaries on? The blockchain has been used in a lot of uh, Syrian refugee camps for precisely this purpose. So what, you know, let's run through the scenario of we're we're registering beneficiaries, uh, whether or not they meet the inclusion criteria to gain access to to certain types of services. Well, we know the inclusion criteria can actually deal with sensitive information. Uh, What if we get it wrong when we're registering the beneficiaries and either they are uh, uh, incorrectly uh, not included as a beneficiary because we get the registration wrong or they are included and they shouldn't be or we just get the wrong information uh, onto the, the blockchain. Well, all of a sudden that that's it's immutable, right? It, it can't be changed. And so as we, you know, further our use of blockchain within international development, we need to develop additional quality control protocols for when we do originally put data onto the blockchain, right? Whether it's around a beneficiary or some other type of a transaction. Because once it goes on the blockchain, it, it never comes off. The only way to correct it is to correct it with a an additional entry onto the ledger later on. You can't just take information off the blockchain. But then if we don't get it right the first time, we have to introduce mechanisms and procedures to where we can correct that mistake further down the road. And I think that that means that we have to uh, develop grievance systems. In regards to your question about like uh securing the data especially sensitive data this is actually a big value add of the blockchain and i'm not going to go into the details of the cryptology that blockchain uses but you know the cryptology and that hashing function that the blockchain uses is you know exceptionally secure um, no matter what type of, of blockchain you use there hasn't been a hack of a blockchain to date um, now, I mean, personal accounts can, can get hacked, right? Where people are careless with their, their, uh, their key codes that, you know, they can go and access all of their information on a blockchain, but the blockchain itself can't be hacked because of this use of cryptology. But if we're going to use blockchain more and more within international development, and we're going to entrust beneficiaries to to secure their their passwords and their key phrases there has to be some training around that and uh, quality controls around that you know some of the early uses of the blockchain for uh, uh, digital IDs it actually got to the point where the beneficiaries weren't able to secure their key phrases well enough And they were losing control of their digital identification that was on the the blockchain. And so there actually had to be more centralized control by the the donor and the uh, implementing partner to control those key phrases. Which kind of negates part of the value of the blockchain, right? A part of the blockchain is to empower people to go and and manage their own identity and manage their own assets, there has to be some kind of capacity development and training on actually how to do, do that management and control their, their security uh, key phrases appropriately.
2: Thank you. Thank you, uh, Michael, for that detailed uh, explanation. Um, you, you mentioned the concept of uh, centralization versus decentralization, which are essential to defining what is and what is not a blockchain. Um, you, you also mentioned about systems and token and behavior change and uh, agency uh, uh, in the like in the introduction. Um, in light of what you just said about uh, centralization versus decentralization uh, of uh, controlling the systems, these are all dimensions of complexity. So in light mm-hmm. of that, are you, uh, can you recommend uh, for the, our listeners any evaluation methods that we can use uh, that explores these dimensions of complexity uh, where we can understand uh, the context in which a blockchain is introduced and the appropriateness of the technology and plan it for program design
1: mm. well it's interesting that you mentioned program design there at the ending right because i think that evaluators have a lot of you know pre-existing skill sets and tools that we can take into this blockchain discussion. And I think one of the main ones is actually program designs. What makes a good program, right? Uh, Being able to identify your your beneficiaries by very good inclusion criteria and attributes of those beneficiaries, putting it all on a timeline toward its time bound, uh, really thinking through and articulating your, your outcomes, identifying your assumptions, all these things that really go into what makes a good program, I think evaluators have had to become much more familiar with because especially as, you know, evaluators aren't these kind of like uh, uh, autonomous actors anymore. They're much more involved with a program or a designing programs so that those programs can be evaluated. I think that's actually going to be a critical skill moving forward with the blockchain and this is why because if the blockchain is going to lower the barriers to experimentation right because if the blockchain is just code in order to experiment with you know an incentive model to try and get the incentives right for a specific type of behavior you know we can make changes to that code as we see fit well who's informing those changes right and i think that this is going to be a key role for evaluators is that We're going to have to become much more comfortable with having a more formative role in in program design, which is essentially informing that experimentation, what kind of changes in that incentive model need to happen in order to get to this behavior, and what does that mean in terms of the token that we're using, what changes in the code needs to, to take place.
0: Mike, well, thank you both so much for this enlightening discussion on blockchain, its potential in international development, and how is both a technology to use and a subject to be evaluated. I think this is an excellent place to stop our first episode before picking up again next time with more questions from Tomlin and Elena Lapo to further delve into these topics. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in, and we hope that you will join us again next time for part two of this discussion.
1: Outstanding thank you. Thank you very much Michael. We'll see you all in the next chapter.